Welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast, a podcast for those looking to change the world through education. Each week, we bring you a new idea, however big or bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, upheave, or remix education. Now, here's your host, my dad, Ryan Scott. Hello, hello, Big Ed Idea listeners. Um, We are back. You are in for a treat. It is episode 44. Um, This is going to be the very first time I've ever interviewed multiple uh, personalities, not multiple personalities. That sounds like it's the same person with multiple personalities. How about multiple people at the same time? Um, Super excited. I've been super excited about this episode. Um, I kind of stumbled across these ladies um, at the Kentucky Kentucky. Association of School Administrators Conference in Louisville this past summer, uh, kind of stumbled into their session and literally after probably about five minutes of listening to them, um, before the session even started, I was like, I need to ask these ladies, like they need to be on the Big Ed Idea podcast. And so without further ado, I'm going to introduce everybody out there to two of my newest friends. They hail from Clark County, Kentucky, which is outside um, Lexington, Kentucky. We have Miss Allison Nelson and Dr. Kara Davies. Um, Allison is a certified school psychologist. She works in Clark County uh, schools, but she has worked quite a bit around all of Eastern Kentucky. Um, she is a, and I really like this about her, she's a CrossFitter and she's an avid yoga practitioner. Dr. Kara Davies is the principal of Clark County Preschool where she is committed to the social and emotional development of both staff and her students. And this is the coolest thing. She has experience in a variety of educational settings, both in Kentucky, get this, and in Scotland. So ladies, thank you very, 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 very much for being on the Big Ed Idea podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. It's a pleasure. Yeah, uh, like I said, you know, you guys were some of the presenters at CASA, 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 however you want to say it this year. And um, I can't remember, um, Kara, can you, what was the name of your session? Do you remember? Caring. Yeah, it was Caring for the Collective. How to okay. ensure your staff bounce back, uh, level up, and remain resilient. That's right. That's right. And so um, anybody that knows me for more than five minutes knows that like SEL, um, that kind of stuff is like, that's my thing. That's my shtick. That's what I love to talk about. And so when I saw that in the, um, I guess the brochure it probably wasn't a brochure, a digital brochure. I was like, I got it. got to check this out. And so, um, like I said, thank you both for being here. No worries. We are honored to be here. Excited to share a little bit about our passions. Okay, nice. Um, so I got to ask Allison, did you uh, do a little CrossFit or yoga today? Uh, I did no CrossFit, but I did do yoga today. So actually every Sunday evening, I teach a virtual online class that uh, anybody can access. So if you're out there uh, and you're listening and you want to hop on my class, uh, feel free. So every Sunday at 530 right now is the time I do it. Um, So yes, I have yoga today, but no, no CrossFitting. Okay, so if I would see, I have listeners from all over the United States, and I actually have a couple from overseas. So if they were to, you know, they were feeling a little, uh, maybe they were just feeling a little tight and they need a little yoga in their lives, how could they access Mm -hmm. that? Uh, so they could follow me on Instagram, and that is at Allie Carol Nelson. That's A L L I C A R O L. N-E-L-S-O-N. It's kind of a long username. Um, (laughs) Or another way that you can uh, find me and also access the content that uh, the gym I go to slash work for uh, is S3 Athletics. And they are on both Facebook and Instagram. So you can catch me there. Yeah. So I actually go live via their Facebook page. Sweet. Funny story about yoga. Um, Back in the day when P90X came out, Um, like I was all into P90X and I loved their yoga, but I would only do it when I was alone at home and I could close the shades because I was really afraid of the neighbors 
seeing me do these outrageous poses. Right. What if they, well, like, what if they saw you? I mean, it would probably have terrible outcomes. Right? Yeah, like, right. <laughs> like I was really self-conscious about those poses, but no yoga is like one of those things I work out all the time, but yoga kicks my butt no matter, no matter what I do. It's, it's a, it is good stuff. It's a, it's a really good practice. Uh, and like, especially if you're having those feelings of like, oh man, and I'm sure that we'll talk more about these concepts yes, as we move through, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really good practice to have to just open you up in, in many ways, mentally, physically, emotionally. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So ladies, um, one of the segments that I started, I don't know, maybe four or five, um, episodes ago is just, uh, it's this segment that I affectionately call what's happening at the Scott house, because, uh, first and foremost, I'm a dad, I'm a husband. Um, I'm a real dude. Like I don't get paid to do this. And so like, I want people out there to know what's going on in my life. And so, um, yeah, what's going on at my house. Well, we have decided because my oldest daughter is off to college and we have four kids. So we live in the land of hand-me-downs. Um, so, as such, my nine-year-old has taken the room of her oldest as she shipped off to Murray. And so this weekend, we have been spending um, the weekend painting and um, sanding and fixing drywall and all of that stuff that I really hate to do, but I don't want to pay anybody to do it. So that's what's going on in my house. Um, ladies, the first segment that we're going to get you two involved in is the segment where I try to model um, this, this thing that I truly believe in, and it's called Connections Before Content. Um, I think all three of us here would agree that you got to connect before you can start to talk about the stuff or the meat. And so before we get into your big Ed idea, I want to know a little bit more about you. And um, I'm going to let you ask me a couple questions as well. And so I've got a couple questions and we're going to, I'm going to fire them at you and I'm going to let you both answer it. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Sounds, Sounds good. Great. All right. So I, I'll be honest. I really struggle with these. I try to ask different ones um, every episode. Um, and I try to find some that I don't really hear other people talking about. And so my first one to both of you, if you were to look five years down the line, uh, what is a goal that you hope to have, because I'm a big goal setter. So in five years, so let's see, it's 2021. So in, wow, this is crazy to say in 2026. Oh my God. Okay. What is going to have happened in your life? Um, Kara, you're first. Well, um, one of my goals is to um, start teaching some with the university. I'd like to, in five years, I would like to, at some point in my life, be able to come like fully mobile. And sure. I think if I could start teaching some online classes, um, that could help me become a little bit more mobile. So I would like to, in five years, um, be at least uh, stepping my toe in the water in that arena. I'd love to think of like 20 years down the road, being like on the coast of Italy or something, or in, in any other foreign country Amen. with my laptop and like working from wherever I fancy going. Sweet. Okay. Allison, how about you? In five years, what are you going to be doing? In five years, I really hope that uh, I just thinking about like expanding my reach, uh, really hoping to uh, have possibly secured a position as a director of special education. I'm currently pursuing oh, yeah. that certificate. So um, hopefully in five years, I'll I'll be in that space and have a little bit farther reach and more impact on more people. Sweet. Um, so for me personally, and this is freaking crazy for me to say, um, I will have a college graduate, hopefully. Um, <laughs> and I could quite possibly be a grandpa, um, which is scary, scary, scary. Um, but then per professionally by that time i hope to have written my first book i've got a, a book idea in my brain and i've started the legwork i've started um writing every day for 10 minutes so trying to you know flex those writing muscles and so um yeah that's my goal ladies um second question 
and let's let's start with Allison first. What are you really excited about right now that's coming up? Uh, so <laughs> this is like not a professional. It doesn't know. That's the whole thing. All. That's okay. not. Uh, <laughs> So we just recently uh, closed on a new house and we're doing a lot of remodeling work in there, but I'm like so excited and so ready to get moved into our new space. We're going to have more room for the kids inside, outside. Um, So I'm like super excited about that. That's always cool. Moving into a new house is always awesome. That's awesome. Miss Kara, what, uh, what about you? So I'll have to go like along similar lines as Allison, only not personally, but professionally. Uh, One big project that's going on in our county is to build a brand new state-of-the-art preschool center. Beautiful. Um, And that is is something I'm super excited about, being able to shape that from the ground up uh, as part of programming and to bring all of my different sort of paths pathways, career interests, personal interests into one thing and be able to leave a legacy in Clark County to potentially touch, you know, three and four year olds for the next 50 years. Right. What that's exciting. That is super, yes, super duper exciting. Um, I'll tell you, I think preschool is one of those spots in education that's totally undervalued. Um, looking at the, I know in the state of Kentucky, like 50% of our kids are coming to kindergarten kindergarten ready um just imagine if every kid had access to a high quality preschool um that they could come into kindergarten you know ready to go with not only the academics but also the executive functioning skills man that would totally revolutionize education so i love what you're doing and um believe it or not i taught preschool i taught spanish at a preschool for about two years as i was going through my undergrad um, it was a lot of fun. So are you a Spanish teacher? Say again. Are you a Spanish teacher? So I am not, but, um, I love Spanish and I love speaking Spanish and I took it in high school, took it in college, um, played in a Hispanic soccer league for a little bit. So I learned all of the words that they didn't teach you in school. Um, Mm -hmm. and then when COVID hit, I think I'm on, probably day 300 and something of practicing Duolingo every day. So I'm, I'm really trying to be fluent for my students. I love that. I need to do that. I too am a big fan of Spanish. Uh, I spent six months traveling around Guatemala and Mexico oh, in my sweet. youth. And yeah. by the time I left, I felt pretty confident having a conversation with anybody, but that's been like 20 years ago. So, um, so yeah, obviously I have lost a lot of it and I don't have a lot of opportunities or, um, people that I can practice with on the regular, but yeah, absolutely. I love foreign language. Duolingo, the, uh, paid version is phenomenal. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, so, okay. So what am I looking forward to? Well, my pup and I Houston, he's my almost one-year-old Australian Shepherd. We are heading out into the woods of Southern Illinois um, over fall break for three days. Um, We are, or I'm hoping to do about a 40 mile. My goal for my 40th birthday was to do a 40 mile hike. And so I'm hoping that I can get 40 miles over three days. Um, I found this really cool horse camp um, on the first day that I can hike up to and it's just going to be he, him and I, and I've never done a solo hike. So I just thought I'd bring my dog and he can at least uh, protect me, hopefully. Nice. Yeah. So I'm really That is that. awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. It's a lot of fun just to, to lose yourself out in the woods. Um, so my ladies, uh, my girls out there, we are going to get started with, I guess, what brought us all together. Um, We are, all three of us are in the business of ed. Um, We are all in the business of changing the world. And, um, you know, this whole podcast is about, you know, coming up with these ideas that can change the world of or change the world through education. Um, But before we can dive into that, I am always super interested in finding out how education or the world of ed found you. And so, um, Miss Allison, if you want to kick it off, like 
you know, how did this, all this education stuff, how did it find you? You know, was it a linear progression? Did you stumble upon it? Um, let us know. Uh, I feel like, yeah, I feel like a little bit of both kind of. So just a little bit of background about me. So I was actually raised by two educators myself. Um, so my mom taught kindergarten, gifted and talented. Um, yeah. Yeah. Love her already. My dad, uh, <laughs> my dad uh, taught uh, PE, was a high school athletics coach, administrator. Um, so like I grew up in education, you know, like whenever I went to kindergarten, it was like the half day set up still. Sure. So like I would go in the mornings, I was the AM group. And then in the afternoons, like I would just like hang out around the school building. <laughs> I might go up to the Head Start classroom. You're one of those I might kids. pop into my mom's class. I was one of those kids, right? right? Right. Like I was the kid who in junior high had to ride to school with my dad. So I got there like an hour and a half before school started. And I like had to hang out in the hallway until they unlocked the door for us to go down into our wing. Like, so I like grew up in school buildings quite literally. Um, so graduated high school, went to college, super interested in psychology, got my bachelor's in that. And then like you get a bachelor's in psychology and it's like, well, what do I do now? Right. You know? So I had to start exploring some different avenues. And honestly, like I never knew school psychology was even a thing like I didn't know it even existed until I was probably a junior in college um but whenever I found out about it I was like oh well that's you know that seems like a really cool I'll check that out so went down the route it all worked out got through my program in the years it was scheduled for came out started working in eastern Kentucky and I've just been been rolling since I'll tell you, between, um, besides school psychologists, uh, well, I'll say this, school psychologists and speech paths have the most knowledge that I think we don't uh, sometimes, like I learned so much about phonics from my um, speech paths, and sometimes I don't, I don't feel like we get yes, them yes. at the table quite enough. Yeah, I tell you, I feel like, so I'm going to say this too. I'm also going to throw in occupational therapists oh, yeah. in there as well, because Sensory. I cannot tell you like that's me and one of our OTs were having a conversation the other day. And I was like telling her, I was like, man, like, I feel like I learn like so much from you. Like, I just want to, I don't know, like, I want to like hop inside their brains and like know all the things that they know. And it's like, that's what it's really all about though. Right. Like it's sure. multidisciplinary. Like that's where you really, you know, that's where you meet kids needs is when you get all the people at the table and all the expertise, teachers, therapists, like that's, that's where it's at. It's a system for a reason. Mm -hmm. For sure. All right, Kara, uh, Dr. Kara, um, how did education find you? Um, it was a really sort of windy, circuitous path for me. Um, so my undergraduate degree is actually arts administration. So it's like a combination between business and art. And I am a first generation college graduate in my family. Um, and education was always super valued, but neither one of my parents had graduated from college. So, um, I don't know, not having that education background for me, I didn't even consider going into education at the time. For me, it was a love of art and a love of business. And um, it took a long time for me to get there. Even my sister had a uh, car accident when she was 16, I was 20. And that was a very serious impact in our family. And so I actually sat out of school for a couple of years, moved back in with my parents when that happened. Um, and re reconsidered everything about my life. And the, the thing that I did, which I feel like I want so many college students and just human beings in general to do is when it came time for me to go back to school and I was choosing my degree, I just opened up that book of courses and thought, what would be interesting? What do sure. I want to take? Because I want to learn, sure. not because I need a degree or I need a career, but what am I interested in? And I took major black writers and I took the woman writer and I took Dante and English literature and pop art and I took costume design and I took theater classes and I just took what I was interested in. 
um, and then figured out where those fit in yeah. your yeah. prereqs, right? And that's how I got my degree. Uh, when I graduated, uh, I wanted to travel and I wanted to work in theater. So I went to Scotland and did the, um, the BUNAC program, which is a work abroad program, which I highly recommend any college student uh, look into because they help you get a work visa, right? So it opens up world travel for people who can't necessarily afford it because not all of us have like thousands of dollars to just chill out in a foreign country for a not year. This guy. But yeah, but this allows you to work while you're there and they help you get a job when you get there and help you find a place to live. There's kind of like the support system that you need. So I did that and I ended up working for the Scottish Qualifications Authority as a temp for a little while, which is like their equivalent of KDE. So their um, national education body. And it was low level work, but it was my first like little foray into the structure and the business, the industry of education. And it was all about testing. And there had been a big debacle that year with their testing. They had lost a lot of test results and that's how students get into college. Um, they have much more layered testing yeah. system. They do one-on-one -on -one oral exams as well as written exams. So we were there like sifting through papers and all of that, but it was my first little glimpse. And I worked that and came home um, and, uh, Ended up working at a children's museum, which we, the name changed while I worked there. It went from the Lexington Children's Museum to the Explorium of Lexington. And our mission was to create a fun and dynamic hands-on learning environment that inspires imagination and curiosity. And even though that was um, ages ago, I think I worked there from 2003 to 2006, I still remember that mission because it just really resonated with me. And I thought it was really powerful, right? To create a fun and dynamic hands-on learning environment that inspires imagination and curiosity. And so that tapped into my love of the arts, um, but also had that thread of education in it. And just thinking about if we had funding to do a, a, an exhibit on the Kentucky River, how could I engage people from birth to grandparents? in something that's gonna be creative and inspiring to them, but is also gonna give them information. And so that was what I did as the director of exhibits there was collaborate with businesses and fabricators and educators and come up with an idea and have it developed and created and made. That sounds fun. It was one of the most fun jobs I've ever had. Yeah. And I would never have left, but we decided uh, my husband at the time uh, was Scottish. We had met when I was living in Scotland before and had traveled around and stuff and decided we ended up getting married. And we thought, well, you know, while we're young and we don't have children, let's move back to Scotland. We'll be close to the continent. We can travel. We'll both get our master's. He got a master's in European archaeology and I got a master's um, in business administration, because at that point I thought I want to be the executive director of an arts organization. That was my goal. And so I did my MBA abroad and work, ended up working for Stevenson College Edinburgh, which uh, I was the creative arts manager. So as the creative arts manager, I was responsible for the admin piece of the creative arts department. Um, that would have been creative writing, photography, music, performing arts, all of those types of um, subjects. But I was also the main, my main remit was to manage that facility. And it was a music and performing arts facility. So we had practice rooms for musicians. We had a, an auditorium, a dance room, all of that. And I rented that out to the community. And my remit was to figure out how to engage the community in that piece of, of their campus, that education piece, to get them involved, right, back with education. So how did we engage with the community to get them through the doors, but also to meet the needs of the students studying um, music or performing arts? And then I moved back, did that for three years, and then I moved back to the United States. And life is very different. Um, in Scotland, 
the work-life balance is much more reasonable than it is in America. And I had a baby and everything had changed. And in Scotland, you get um, nine months of statutory maternity pay. You can take a year off. So I felt like because I had given birth in Scotland and that had been my life, that was what I was going to take. And so we came back to America and I took that time off and, um, you know, just took care of my daughter, which was amazing time to have to bond with her. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I began praying for a job where I could get paid to love people, which I thought was the most ridiculous prayer ever. Not at um, all. Not at but, all. Yeah. But so I prayed that. And then somebody said to me, you should think about te teaching special education. Cause I, at that time I thought, well, I could teach business at the college level. I have an MBA. That's a terminal degree. Um, I had, it, I had been asked to apply for an assistant professor job at UK in the arts and men program. But they had told me up front, like, if we get someone with a PhD, we'll have to go with them. But anyway, um, I just that it kind of was like that tap on the shoulder. The next person said, you should think about um, teaching special education. And I thought, what in the world? No, that does not sound like <laughs> me at all. You know, I'm an arts administrator with an MBA. Um, but I started to observe in schools in Clark County to see what that looked like. And I thought maybe I could teach business at the high school level. And the business teacher said, um, no, you should think about special ed. So anyway, long story short, I became a sped teacher. And when I look back at my long history, I think about my sister and her accident. And in some ways I think being a special ed teacher, that whole process of getting getting that education, that, that credential and that experience helped me learn how to be a better sister to my sister who has a disability, a traumatic brain injury. And in some ways, I feel like my experience with my sister perfectly prepared me to have the level of empathy and compassion that you need to work with people with disabilities in the school setting. Uh, I feel like most people don't have much experience with people with disabilities and they don't understand the range and sure. the complexity um, and how the brain works and what different abilities and, you know, all of it so complex. Uh, so I feel like those two things came together for me and then leadership is just in there. It's part of who I am. And so I, I was a special ed teacher for a while, special education facilitator and now principal. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I tell you, I, I've said this before, but I completely believe it. Um, God puts you in particular places at particular times for particular reasons. And uh, listening to both of your ladies' stories, it's very evident um, there was some type of power greater than you um, at play. And, and I think that's what's so awesome about our profession is that um, every no two people I've met yet have the exact same story of how education found them. Um, but at the end of the day, everybody that I have met um, feels that it was a calling. Um, so thank you for, for very much. Thank you for those two stories. Um, as we kind of, I guess, shift into the focus or the, I guess, the stated purpose of this podcast, um, you know, we're all about the big idea. We're all about, you know, what we can do. Um, we're all about um, giving a forum for people to speak uh, life to their big ideas. But before we can start to talk about what those ideas are, I guess we have to talk about um, kind of what is the problem of education? Obviously, if there wasn't a problem, we wouldn't need to fix it. Um, so ladies, um, what is kind of this big problem of education? And, you know, what do we need to fix? Who goes first? <laughs> Do you Whoever. want to start, Karen? I feel like, uh, Karen, why don't why don't you start? Because okay. I feel like what we're going to talk about really uh, generated from an innovative idea that Kara had based on observa observations that she was making uh, within our school that we worked okay. at together. Okay. Yeah, right, I'll, I'll start then. So it's it's so complex, right? The way humans learn, what interests us. We are all so individual. And education is still pretty cookie, cookie cutter, you know? I mean, Sadly, it's yes. very, very difficult 
to individualize the experience to meet every single student's needs. You know, I look at my own son who is a talker and then who is so physically active and I'm like, son, can you please go to the other room and, you know, roll around on the floor or whatever it is you're doing. And when you think about that in a classroom with 24 souls in one room together taught by one person, it's so hard to individually meet the needs of, of each one of those students. And I think as human beings, we are so attached to a particular outcome, right? And once we grab a hold of that outcome and get attached to it, um, that's where frustration and kind of that push, that rub comes between teacher and student. So when I was at the high school, I was, being, I was the special ed facilitator and a teacher. And so we would go into a meeting and I may go in attached to a particular outcome or a parent might go in attached to a particular outcome or a teacher would. And hence this sort of like battle of who's going to win and get their will or their way um, instead of just letting go of whatever outcome you, you feel like you're attached to and just listening to what the needs of everybody at the table were. And one day I was uh uh, standing outside in the hallway in the high school and I saw an angry teacher running down the hall after a student red faced you know like that kind of almost cartoonish sort of image but very angry and he was yelling at the student to come back and the student was just far enough away where the student could feign like well I didn't hear you and it was and this teacher was just you know pushing pushing running behind him and I thought gosh this power struggle right here everybody is losing the teacher yes. is losing yes. they're losing the respect of their colleagues of every single other student in the hall um, students aren't going to listen and learn from them because if you don't have respect for the deliverer of the message then you're not gonna not gonna listen and learn from them and i just thought wow that's that's the problem that's what we all need right is to take a deep <laughs> breath and to be able to reflect right and 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 not get attached to the outcome and move forward allison you got anything yeah, to add yeah. to that yeah just to piggyback off that I, I think you know oftentimes what happens you know so you were talking earlier about you know like how great it would be if we could have kids in preschool and we could teach them executive functioning skills and, you know, that sort of thing. And I know that, you know, all of us are big proponents of social emotional learning and teaching those competencies. But I really think that is where we are lacking in education. So like Kara said, it is very um, cookie cutter and we can do a really good job at teaching kids um, academic skills but are we intentionally teaching kids and adults, right? Like we can't forget about the adults. Yeah. Are we intentionally teaching, talking about practicing, managing emotions, being self-aware, you know, developing positive relationships with other people, making good decisions. Um, so I think, you know, like the, the, curriculum that we have worked on together with some other ladies and the things that we present on is really emphasizing the need for us to to be more intentional about how we are approaching those social emotional competence competencies in our school buildings not just with students though also with staff yeah yeah no to uh, reflect on what you're saying I completely agree um, we are still um, behooven to the factory model of education. Uh, we, you know, we put a kid in in kindergarten and, you know, they go, they're supposed to follow along this neat little line and then they pop out and then they go into the workforce. Um, but, but that time of, of history, um, if you look back, that time of history, there was opportunities and there was times for the parents to teach our students those social and emotional competencies um i i say this all the time like my own children i get an hour with them every night um and so really and truly how much of those life things am i really teaching my kids um and if i'm not teaching them then who is youtube um so instead <laughs> i think I, I think i like what you're saying um yeah, that is a problem that if we only focus on the academics and the schooling, guess what? We're only going to have kids that are prepared academically. Um, and one thing all three of us would agree on, 
um, life is way more about what you know. Um, and so, mm -hmm. okay, if that's the issue, go ahead, Carrie, you look like you wanted to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say when we think about when I think about my own career and lifelong learning, I know that, you know, when I was teaching at the high school and I was collaborating in World Civ, I was relearning world civilization because I didn't remember what I learned in sure. high school. Sure. I'm not trying to negate the importance of content because you have to have, have certain skills and certain level of content. But I think to just really fan the flames and develop human beings that become lifelong learners. And when I think about how I was supported and along the way, I remember being a freshman in college and sitting with my mom and, and working through writing a paper with her and me struggling and her typing it for me while I while I spoke that's scaffolding right mm -hmm. and yet in high school that would be cheating you know <laughs> but it's not it's what she needed to do and now I'm a, I'm a really good writer I mean I have my doctorate I was able to produce an entire dissertation but that's what it took for me to get there and so how do we support people along the way in their um, learning journey that you know creates lifelong learners. And I think that social emotional piece, I think teachers have to model that for students because that's how we learn. We learn by watching what the, the people we admire do. So just being a person that students admire, being relatable, that relationship piece and modeling for them that it's okay to make mistakes, that it's okay to not know everything, that it's actually better yeah, right. <laughs> to yeah. make mistakes and to not know everything and to be comfortable saying that we don't. So yeah. um, that's where, to me, that social emotional learning piece comes in. Teachers have to be transparent about their own social emotional journey. We're all struggling. Share that you're struggling and share it with your students and bring them into that space with you and work through it so that they can see what it looks like to get frustrated, to work through it, and to learn something and come out on the other end. Yep, and come out the other side. That's right. Mm, yeah. Okay. And so I do want to add one one other thing though, too. Sorry, I just thought about this too. Thinking about yeah, yeah. teaching academic skills and the need for social emotional learning, you know, like honestly, we can't really acquire skills new skills unless we're in a space where we feel safe we feel protected we feel valued Maslow's. you know there's a level yes exactly like coming back to the uh, Maslow's hierarchy right like we can't even learn new skills unless we're functioning within an environment that conveys those feelings of connection and value and love and belongingness so I mean social emotional uh learning and competencies is like <laughs> acquire or like 100% you know it's like thing. the thing yeah 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 like um for all my listeners out there um state of Kentucky last time I looked uh 21% of our children were living in poverty um and based on some research that I had done um, a child that is living in poverty has a two times is two times more likely to have an a score of three or more um, and for children that have an A score of three or more, they are 32 times more likely to struggle academically. Um, and so if we are honest about wanting to do what is best for our kids, then let's work backwards, I think is what mm -hmm. these ladies are saying. Let's work backwards and let's work on that SEL. Um, so, okay. So all three of us agree. That's what we need to do. Um, I'm kinda, I kind of already know since I've seen it, but talk to our listeners out there. What is your big idea of how we can address those SEL competencies? Allison, you want to go? You want me to go? <laughs> <laughs> you can go. You go, girl. Well, um, so when Allison and I noticed this problem, we brought together a team of um, professionals in the area of mindfulness, right? Because for us, that was the base level, right? Like be able to be comfortable in your, in your own skin, where you are, take a breath, respond rather than react to situations. So we feel like a foundation of breathing is important and to teach students the four pillars about their brain, because when students know how their brain works, when adults know how their brain works, we can become a little less judgmental and harsh on ourselves and say, oh, that was a function of my amygdala or I was in a fight, flight or freeze response or, you know, I was re I was reacting rather than responding. And um, and it doesn't really define us as much as it, oh, it was a moment in time. Right. So teach people about their brain. 
um, awareness, becoming aware of who you are and, and where you are emotionally, where others are emotionally, just being uh, cultivating a sense of awareness, uh, attention. We believe that, and we know that attention is something that can be cultivated, yes. being able to apply our attention our focus to something and then resilience, you know, the ability to bounce back over time. So those, that is the, um, basics of our curriculum, teaching students with a foundation of, of a breathing practice, but utilizing other things like mindful movement, mindful eating, noting our thoughts, just beginning to pay attention to our inner world as much as we pay attention to our outer world. Uh, and we believe that that is um, really the foundation for learning and the thing that can make education better for everybody. Allison, what is the name of this um, program? Is it a program <laughs> it or is. is it like a? It's well, so really, I think I would refer to us as a collective of like minded women uh, yeah, right. who have, um, you know, curated many different resources, social emotional mindfulness. Uh, trauma-informed care for students, staff, parents, but uh, the name of our group, our program is called The Bee Project. And then we named it the so Bee Project. So really easy to remember, The Bee Project. So is it And B we named e it The Bee Project. Just B. Okay. Just B. -E, just B. And we named yeah, it B -E. that because yeah. really it's about your being, right? Because if yeah. you can mm -hmm. get in touch with your being and, and be in control of yourself, that's when you can, you're really free to learn at a deeper level. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I'll get really personal right here. I've got a six-year-old, um, Hazel Reese. We've always called her our, uh, Hurricane Hazel because she's always, um, even from birth, she's been that child that regulation is not one of her like strengths and I'll tell you coming out of this COVID where she did not have a normal kindergarten at all um and then first grade this year she's getting quite a few clip downs and stuff I really hearken that back to and I can say this because I was a former kindergarten teacher um and the things that I taught my students in kindergarten were like you said paying attention um eyes on the teacher, um, cleaning their desks, you know, things that we take for granted for, but she didn't have that in kindergarten and missed it like the second half of her last year of preschool as well. And so my wife and I are talking quite a bit about, you know, just that lack of executive functioning skills that she didn't get to have. Um, and, you know, I'll go even a step further, like my vision, one of my big ideas is that in kindergarten and first grade, we stress those things like five times more so than reading, than numeracy, all of that stuff. Because just like Allison said, if you can lay a foundation of the executive functions, you're going to have a kid that's wanting to read, that's um, going to be able to pay attention. Um, you're not going to start to have this over-identification of students from poverty with IEPs um, yeah, I think it all comes back to that. Um, so I would love, love, love to see us starting to do something like the B project and literally like every primary school. And we agree. And we believe yes. teachers are already working to the max in yep. teaching. Um, and we don't want to add anything on top of teachers, right? Like this isn't one more extra thing they have to do. It's really just about tweaking what you already do. Uh, you know, you already walk to the playground every day. So can you take a mindful walk where you're really yeah, right. noting, you know, what your feet feel like on the floor or what colors you see or making that an exercise in attention and focus every day before you unleash on the playground, right? And doing the same thing on the way back or when we're transitioning, from one activity to another, throwing in 60 seconds of breath work or of listening to a particular sound or something like that. So kind of incorporating it into what you're already doing rather than it being an add on top of. And, and I yes. think that's, that's important. That right there is important because um, 
I don't know about you guys in Clark County, but my teachers are already feeling overwhelmed. Um, and we've only been in school for four weeks. So to ask them to, okay, I need you to give me 15 minutes every day for this curriculum. That's not what you're saying, right, Allison? Yeah, correct. No, it is, uh, can be completely integrated into the activities that they're already doing. Um, a lot of the lessons they could tie in, add on for teachers. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Because I think, I think you guys would agree, like the most effective things that we can do within our classrooms are just like a, a an afterthought. You know, it's not like, it's just something you weave in, you know, it's, um, <laughs> I'll tell you, um, when I was a kindergarten teacher, which I loved teaching kindergarten, we would do this thing uh, where I called it the attention challenge. And we did it every single day from the beginning of school to the end of school. And we started off by kids would sit, sit on the road in front of me. And if they could keep their eyes on me for, so they were five. So we started at five seconds. So if they could keep their eyes at me, five minutes, excuse me. No, no, no. Hold on. We started at 30 seconds and if they could keep their eyes on me for 30 seconds, they won the challenge. And what did they get? Well, they got, um, the boys got a shot of Axe spray and the girls got a shot of whatever perfume I could steal out of my wife's, um, makeup, whatever. And we did that over the course of the year. And I taught the kids, um, to be able to pay attention up to how long, science said they should pay attention, which was five minutes. So, um, yeah. but it wasn't something that was like extra. It was just something we did during our morning meeting every day. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that too. So my son's second grade teacher had this really, uh, nifty phrase that I, that I really like a lot. And I feel like it's kind of goes along with what you're saying with your kids. Like you did this on a consistent basis over and over, increase the intervals, you know, increase their attention span. Um, and I'm sure that probably, you know, sustained for them. Like they were able to continue paying attention for extended amount of times, uh, over the course of time. Anyways, the phrase is, um, practice makes permanent. Yeah. And I really, really like that, you know, as opposed to like, you know, practice makes perfection or whatever, right? Like we're never no going to, yeah. we're never going to, it's an illusion. That's what I always say. Perfection is such an illusion. Um, but it does like the more you practice things, right. And this is what neuroscience tells us is that the more that you engage in the same behavior, it becomes permanent, right? Like it becomes your default. So then paying attention for those kids turned into their default. So not only could they pay attention when you were offering them sprays of smelly good stuff, they could also pay attention while you were going over, exactly you right. know, <laughs> sight words or phonemic awareness or whatever it is you were talking about. So um, we, uh, no, in that, in that class, I'm a, I'm a diehard phonics, like 1969 1973 phonics old school and yeah that's that's what we did in that classroom every day but yeah you're right like I had a lot of kids coming from poverty that never had to pay attention never had to sit still never had any structure and if I didn't teach it guess what they probably would have been labeled well probably not because their adaptive skills were too high but um they would have been labeled something eventually Yeah, it's true. We got to teach them. So that's our, that's, that's the job of educators is to meet kids where they are and provide them with appropriate instruction. Meet them where they are. That's exactly right. And so, okay. So as I start to wind us down, um, ladies, if there are folks out there that are listening and they're interested in the B project and they want to know more about the B project, because um, let's be honest, like this last year, if nothing else has sh shown a spotlight on SEO. Um, and so if anybody out there is wanting to get with you guys about the B project, what is the best way that they can do so? I would say they can email us. Okay. Um, I, I'm assuming our email addresses will be linked. Yes, ma'am. Yes, but also if they go to clarkschools.net, which is the district that we work for under district links is the B project. Okay. Okay. All right. So ladies, um, as I wind us down, it has been a great conversation um, about a topic that I 
literally love talking about. We could probably go on for hours. Um, social and emotional is just, that's my thing. That's your thing. So thank you for coming on the Big Ed Idea podcast. Thank you so yeah. much for having us. And I, yeah, and I thank really you for hope, having us. Yeah, no problem. Um, I really hope somebody out there um, catches wind of this and um, who knows, maybe, uh, maybe Bill Gates is listening and he's like, you know, I, I really want to invest all of this money into early childhood um, executive functioning and um, SEL competency. So let's invest in the B project. So Bill, if you're listening, hit me up. Um, but no, honestly, thank you, ladies. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thanks for uh, being courageous and like creating this podcast and talking about your passion. Hey, you know, um, I thought I was crazy until I got on Twitter and connected with all kinds of other crazy people all around the world. Um, yeah, my PLF, my, my uh, professional learning family has sustained me through some tough times. And so um, you are now a part of that family. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Amazing. Sweet. All right. So to my friends um, out there in the edges sphere, I'm going to leave you like I always do. And that's a quote on dreaming because let's be honest, the world does not change unless you have the audacity to dream it up first. And so my quote for you tonight, dreams are not what you see in sleep. It is the thing which does not let you sleep. And so, Big Ed Idea guys, like Big John used to always tell me, I will see you in the fun paper. Thank you for hanging out with me here on the Big Ed Idea podcast. My hope is that this would be a conversation, a meeting of the minds and a space for one person's vision to inspire the passions of another. However, none of this can happen without you. So let's be change agents together and build a better future. Please subscribe or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Come to the conversation with your passion and together let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper.